Hello, this is your host, Sunita Bagri. I am the founder of the Every Teacher Matters Project. Welcome to the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Each podcast has a core focus around the well-being of our teachers, school leaders and educational staff. The Teach Well Alliance works proudly in partnership with the Every Teacher Matters Network to raise awareness of well-being and mental health for our teachers and school staff. We're so pleased that you're able to join us on today's podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Every Teacher Matters podcast. Well, I'm delighted to be speaking to our guest today, who is um, has so much knowledge and understanding around mental health. And this particular subject is very, very close to my heart, but also very current right now, as this year's Teacher Wellbeing Index has just been released yesterday, which was the 25th of November. The findings of the report show worrying growth in symptoms of poor mental health in our teaching profession, insomnia, tearfulness, mood swings, and difficulties concentrating. Of course, colleagues listening to this will not be surprised. The report cites that all symptoms may lead to diagnosable longer-term mental health problems, including anxiety and depression. It also shows us that this pressure on our teachers and school leaders is simply unsustainable. By October, stress levels had rocketed to 89% amongst heads and other senior leaders. Workload remains a major issue and a key driver to talented people leaving the profession. 51% of teachers and 59% of senior leaders told us, told us, told education support who have cited uh, where this report comes from, that they had considered leaving the profession during the year due to pressures on their health and well-being. And 68% of educational professionals considered leaving due to the volume of workload. Now, there's uh, this information in this report is available on the educationsupport.org.uk website. I would encourage colleagues to have a look at it and really notice um, the findings because last year was was terrible, and this year, due to the pandemic, is, is has all you know been incredibly exacerbated. But on that note, without further ado, I'd like to welcome, warmly welcome, Juliet Adloon to today's podcast. Now, Juliet has over 20 years of primary school teaching experience as a teacher and a senior leader. She is a qualified instructor for adult mental health first aid England and she also works for Cambridgeshire Local Authority. Juliet, welcome. Thank you very much. What an introduction with all those statistics to start with. Um, and it, it's it's it is a sad situation. There are there are many glimmers of hope and there are great things about our education system. I, I love it, that's why I'm still in it. Um, but there are many things which we can still continue to do to improve that teacher and head teacher and school staff well-being. Absolutely, Juliet. Now, I, I'm delighted to have you on because, you know, it, it's there's not many 
professionals in you know in in, in education I'm also you know we've got lots of things in common because I'm yes. also a, you know a primary teacher with 20 years of, of experience as a teacher and a leader as well so I'm I'm really really excited about speaking to you because you know as teachers and leaders we've we've kind of you know we've experienced a lot we've seen so much we've worked with colleagues we've you know undoubtedly seen the system take our colleagues out that you know had things been managed differently would still be in the profession uh, and for that reason I, I know why you will have gone into um, mental health first aid training because you know we've got that common purpose I'm very clear about that so just tell us about yourself tell us more about you know um, what you do and, and, and teaching and mental health first aid what you know what would you like the listeners to know Oh, goodness. Uh, so I suppose a little potted history is uh, I always say that I think I've got teacher through me like a stick of rock. Um, uh, whether I would like it or not, it's, it's there. It always has been there. I can always remember being younger and wanting to be a teacher. Um, I'm also very musical and that's always been a great passion of mine too. And, and that was great when I went into primary education, having trained at Homerton in Cambridge, that I was able to combine music and primary education in, in my degree um, and then of course be that wonderful person who plays the piano um, <laughs> when you get your first job and, and then brilliant running all sorts of um, musical events and writing things and composing and then really enjoying from day one um, my induction into primarily I started in year six um, I absolutely loved it um, and then had the joy as a deputy moving to um, Key Stage 1, having to leave key, st key Stage 1 and thinking, gosh, that's very exciting and very different. Always wanting to, I suppose, have the greatest impact I could. And I think that's what drives people into leadership. Um, although I'm a, a great, a strong believer that we need people who want to work at all levels and be committed and passionate at that. So for me, it's not necessarily an achievement to go into leadership. <laughs> I think it's a great thing, um, but it's also an achievement for, for us to have long-standing members of teaching staff and long-standing members of um, teaching assistant staff too. It's not a competition and it's not a race. You have to do what you know is right for you and what fits you. But I enjoyed my leadership work and my headship as much as I did uh, my, my teaching role. Um, and then I moved into the advisory um, uh, role. And it was at that point when I was doing a lot of work with schools with quite a lot of needs for one reason or another, be they in an Ofsted category or situations have happened to the school that's meant there've been lots of changes for one reason or another. And my role, um, as, as an advisor and improvement advisor is working with those schools to bring around school improvement. And I can't say it's probably a unique approach, but maybe it is given what I hear other people talking about. My approach has always been bespoke. So rather than a one size fits all, it's a what does the school actually need and how does it need to be delivered and brought about for this particular group of staff or even more so for this particular member of staff and as i did more and more of that bespoke school improvement i was finding that people were opening up to me 
And that's what took me into the field of training, first of all, as an adult mental health first aider myself. Um, and sitting through that two day course thinking this is probably the best thing I've ever been on. Um, and so excited by it that I, I'd say within a couple of months of, of having been on the two day course, deciding I want to do that too. I want to be an instructor in this. And because I work part time, um, I was able to, to pursue that on, on my own and, uh, and go forth with that. And for me, there couldn't be a better marrying of two roles because my aim and and nobody's perfect but my aim is to support schools with school improvement but with a human approach so that means people are held to account that we are interested in in what pupils achieve and their outcomes of course we are um, but not at the sacrifice of the adults delivering it. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Um, I, I think they can work together. And, and that, that's my passion now. I've, my, my training in adult mental health um, doesn't, I don't solely market to schools. I, I do have some closed school courses, but I also run open courses and I also run courses for different sorts of organisations. So for a housing association, I, I do some work for the diocese. So it's quite broad range and wide ranging and, and interesting as a result of that. Um, but I, I think I always go back to that working with school staff in, in the adult mental health first aid. It's always revelationary for the people on the courses and quite frankly for me because you learn something new every time because of the experiences that people share and I think if we can thread that approach into the way we work in schools not as a oh we've got an adult mental health first aid and it's a box ticked but it's threaded through it's bedded into the culture which is one of the hardest things to do, I think, um, but it's possible. If we can do that, then we will recruit and we will retain. I think it's the retaining that I think is the, the, almost the biggest challenge um, and, and thinking about how we can work with staff in order to retain them. Your, my heart is literally singing listening to you, Juliet. It really is. And so much of what you have said is, you know, sounds like it's coming from my own, my own sort of speak and talk because this is just, you know, when you're passionate about it, you've lived it, you've experienced it, you genuinely want to make a difference by raising school improvements. That is so apt, so apt, you know. Yes, school improvement can be done, but not at the cost of, you know, an individual's well-being. Absolutely. Uh, and that word culture is just, you know, so important for us to talk about this because so many head teachers are still, it's not their fault. This isn't, you know, this isn't us criticising. This is simply us saying that no one, no school leader is an expert on well-being and mental health. They're not. But as a school leader, what 
we would say you, you need to have a strategy which starts to help you build and implement a culture. And that's exactly the, the right you know, way forward because so many head teachers, you know, well-being has always been important. I know you've been doing the work that you've been doing far before the pandemic and so have I. But actually right now, heads, you know, I, I work with heads directly through, through coaching and facilitation and they're all saying, what can we do with our staff? What can we do? And it's, a, you know, it's just not, a, I don't have a quick answer to that because actually the longevity really is there if it's built into the school's development plan and part very much part of the school improvement strategy. And I would say that the schools, I mean, everybody's struggling right now, as, as you know, but the schools that are from from my experience, and I'd be really interested to to get your view on this, Juliet. Mm-hmm. The schools that are, you know, obviously it's a hard time and people are finding it really difficult. But the head teachers that understand well being culture are the ones that are saying, "Well, my staff are looking after me right now, and my mm-hmm. staff are looking after one another. Everyone's got each other's interests at heart." Mm-hmm. To me, that suggests that they understand what culture, well-being culture is. I'm not saying it's easy, but what I'm saying is that I think they've got an idea of it. And the, the heads that are really struggling right now are maybe not as you know, wise in that area. Yes, I, I, think, I think that will be in part true. I think there's an and to that rather than a but. Um, and I think the and is that sometimes the leaders are quite good at looking after their staff and not quite as good at looking after themselves. And I know it might feel a bit chicken and egg and where do you start with that? But the the analogy, which I'm sure will be really familiar to you of, you know, when when we're on an aeroplane one day, when we're allowed to go on an aeroplane and and you've got that safety announcement and, and it's advising you to, in the event of an emergency, to put your own oxygen mask on before you attend to the needs of others. I think that's, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But I think there are a lot of leaders who are finding it hard to do that at the moment because other staff are looking to, to them for the support. They are giving it, but they are themselves then saturated with everybody's else, everybody else's issues and problems and trying to look after all those different stakeholders and all those people with all those pushes and pulls and themselves that they're diminishing and therefore that their ability to be able to sustain themselves is also diminishing. And my conversations with, with one-to-one conversations with heads like, like you're doing um, is, is centering around, it's not selfish to look after yourself. You're upset because you want to do the best for everyone else, but do you realize if you don't look after yourself, you're not going to be able to do that? Um, and that, that, I mean, I believe that all senior leaders, heads and deputies and assistants, um, should have access to supervision and coaching and mentoring as a given. Yeah. But meanwhile, back in the real world, <laughs> um, when, when I can offer that to people, um, and, and we, you know, I am doing quite a lot of that at the moment, and I, I feel very 
very privileged and very humbled to do that because people are talking to me quite openly and and I'm just trying to do my best to help them or signpost them onto where they can get maybe more professional help we've got to sustain people not just deal with the here and now um, and it's about in in many things in school improvement you you hope that you can walk the walk and talk the talk as a leader but I think that's even more important with well-being yeah. and, and mental health. We've got to, the leaders have got to look after themselves and demonstrate and role model how they're doing that in order to infiltrate that culture for their, for their staff. And then there's the practical stuff. Then there's the things which you think, um, you know, why, why is a school doing that in a certain way? Why, why are they making the teachers transfer? What's on a portrait piece of paper to a landscape piece of paper. Now, what's, what's that about? Because that is, it, what's the purpose there? Where's the child-centered purpose for that? Um, and I think there are some really practical things we can do to help schools to do that, so that teachers' lives, lives professionally are worthwhile and meaningful, um, and that they can remember why they love the job and why they wanted to be in it in the first place. I, I always talk about one of the, the greatest compliments I've ever had is from a, a teacher who I met in town, actually, and I was with my, my children, and um, she's she told me, she said, oh, hello, Juliet, how are you? And my children are going, who's this, who's this? <laughs> I said, oh, I know your mummy very well, and they're thinking, mm. <laughs> and, and, and And this lady, who's, who's a teacher who I worked with and, and supported in her classroom, she just turned to my children, she said, you know your mummy? she reminded me why I love teaching and I thought oh my goodness but isn't that a lovely thing um it's not saying that there aren't parts of the job that she wasn't so keen on or that maybe irritated her or whatever but the overwhelming sense of what she had gained from that support was remembering why she loved her job as a teacher and that was because there were strategies put in place about guided reading and there were things to support planning. There was all that, those sorts of things and making sure the school was planning ahead so that we could think about our life and, and see, you know, the diary of the, of the half term ahead and make sure that was well managed and organized. But it also it was dealing with her and others as a human being and giving them time to be a human being. Absolutely right. You you really are you are really speaking to my heart. I say that I say that because I know that the podcast um, attracts interviews with the most wonderful, passionate professionals such as yourself. So you really are making my heart sing. So many things that you said there resonated, uh, and you know I've had conversations, and yeah, I can absolutely agree with with almost everything you said. You know, teachers are very compassionate people, aren't they? We're very giving. We're very giving and you're absolutely right you know when do we get the opportunity to fill our cups and to you know to, to make ourselves feel re-energized and um interestingly i was having this conversation with a group of head teachers who like exactly like you say 
are finding it difficult to lead their staff through, you know, understanding what well-being is when they're failing to to model it and, and do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And one one of the things that I've started to do, because um, I, I coach, as, as you know, but I also I'm a mindfulness teacher, and I'm obsessed with um, self-compassion because. Mm-hmm. There is no compassion until there is self-compassion. And it's really interesting when I conduct this short assessment with, with teachers and leaders. So on a scale, um, you know, it's a short 12 questions, uh, 12 statements, and then they have to sort of, you know, put themselves on a scale. And everybody, every teacher and leader I've done is, is very rare that they are, you know, they're on an average score. They're always below average. And, you know, if, if leaders are below average, that's giving us a clear indication, isn't it, that they're not filling their cups, they're not putting on their own oxygen mask. And that would be a key message to any senior leader listening to this podcast from both of us today, who are both, you know, we've both been, you know, school leaders, we're both passionate about well-being and mental health. And just reminding you, please do something, please do something to look after your well-being. So the report cites um, that many school leaders are forced to choose between spending priorities, such as catch-up sessions for lost learning, classroom deep cleaning, or staff well-being. There simply isn't enough budget to meet all of these needs. What are your thoughts on that, Juliet? Uh, well, I, I always I always sort of cite this thing for, for when people talk about I've got not got enough time in the day. And, and I always try a sense of humor is very important to me because I think that's important thing to, to, to carry us all through. And I always say, well, you know, if I had a bottle of extra hours in the day, I'd give it to you. And then I always say, or oh, maybe I wouldn't. Do you really want more hours in the day? Now, I, I don't think there would be school in the land that would say, no, we don't want more money in our pocket. Um, and but I do know that sometimes we can grapple with things which are beyond our control. And I, I don't, uh, as you don't, I don't think have the control and the power to, to give more money. Um, there are maybe other things we can do to, to, to try and work towards that. But realistically, by, ne- by January, that we, we, you and I are not going to be able to supplement schools' budgets. Um, and so whilst I don't think we ought to be saying that well-being doesn't cost any money because I think there are things that you can financially invest into well-being neither do I think it needs to cost a lot of money it is the little things and I don't mean to sound trite by that um I I genuinely believe it I I I you'll be aware with with your knowledge of of adult mental health first aid that we talk about the stress container and people's stress container and what happens when it overflows and there's that sort of emotional snapping or that stress signature of what what we look like when our our container overflows when i talk to teachers and and leaders and remind them about the tap mechanism at the bottom of the stress container to let out some of the stress and to to just remind yourself who you are and ground yourself without fail people can list what they know is good for them but almost as a 98 percent of the time what people say is but i don't do it (laughs) or they say 
oh yeah, I, I used to do Pilates once a week, but I don't do that anymore. And I don't mean this is not COVID related. Yeah. This is just, you know, <laughs> normal, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, so we know what's good for us to sustain us and look after ourselves and, and to release some of that stress, but we don't do it. And so sometimes it just needs a little friendly or peer support to do that. And it's not a big thing. It's just a small thing, but it's frequent. My example I'll give to you, which, which is COVID related, because at the moment um, I am in my office. I'm, I'm not going into schools, which is a great sadness for me. Um, I've never spent so much time looking at a screen um, or before. That's it's just not been my, the way I've been working. Um, and I was starting to notice the headaches and the, the, the swirling around of my eyes after I've been, you know, five hours on Zoom calls or, or whatever. Um, and so now I actually, for the first time ever, factor in breaks. And during those breaks, when I make the other person have a break and we do brownies on a promise not to check my emails and <laughs> I stand outside the door yeah and I look into natural light and I get fresh air I even stand in the rain sometimes <laughs> I mean not when it's tipping it down but it's that sense of giving my mind and my body a rest just a little one I don't need to book a week-long spa it's just a five minute break. And I think we worry sometimes that if we're not doing something big, it's not worth doing at all. And I would say, let's go for the opposite of that. Let's go for little and often, and that will nurture you and look after you. I'd say that as a musician, don't do 45 minutes practice before you come to me for a lesson. Do 10 minutes three times a week. Lots of people would say that in all sorts of things. I'm sure sports people would say the same. It's that little and often. You don't just run once a week if you're a runner. You run over a period, you know, several periods of time. So I think that's just making things realistic and practicable, yeah. which is maybe more likely then to be implemented. Absolutely. Consistency is king, right? Yeah. yeah great. great. Again, you've raised so many really valid things there so many valid points uh, and actually I'd like to go back to the point that you made about you know there isn't necessarily a cost to well-being and I would like to reinforce that for the listeners because I did a survey uh, with some teachers asking the teachers what they would you know what do they want from well-being and I'll tell you the the three things the three they, they're not in the you know there's 10 I've got 10 a list of 10 I'll just say the top three yeah they wanted to have a voice so they felt listened to um and would have would appreciate like a survey or something so that what they're saying is being actioned um a comfortable staff room setting somewhere that just feels like a relaxed environment away from the classroom and that staff are encouraged to socialize but also includes the um slt being part of that coming into the staff room and then having a well-being lead in the school those things are not necessarily costly are they those things 
No, they're not. And, and I think for me, the one that's really interesting out of those, because I, again, you probably use this type of analogy as well. Well, well-being is not custard creams on a Friday uh, or, or even jam donuts. As much as I like a jam donut, that's not going to solve the issue. Um, I mean, having said that, you know, I, I do whenever I am in schools, I always try and bake cakes and take them in because it, it just gives people a smile and a talking point. It's a nice thing to do, isn't it, Juliet? But let you know and I know that's not well-being. It is not. I, I think the interesting thing you said there was about people feeling they have a voice. Yeah. And and I, I think that is that's not just going to come from what you say. I, I, I know there are, there's other evidence and research that talks about all workplaces, never mind the school workplace, but all workplaces, that ability to have some autonomy, not everything autonomous, <laughs> but some autonomy and some voice in decision-making is very, very powerful. It's on there. It's one of the, one of the 10. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. They, teachers, nobody wants to work with their hands tied behind their back, do they? That's, that's yeah. absolutely there's been so much research on autonomy you know teacher autonomy mm. you're absolutely right mm. so just to finish then um juliet you know the in teacher well-being index report has, has is stating that 52 percent of all educational professionals have considered leaving due to pressures on their mental health and well-being mm. and the worrying thing is that this remains at you know, 57% of school, le school leaders or teachers, educational professionals that do not feel confident to mm. speak about the fact that it's mental health related. Mm. So mm. What, what's, what's, you know, what's your, A, what's your view? And then mm. to finish, because the Every Teacher Matters Network mission is to raise the profile of mental health and well-being. And everybody that sort of joins our network or listens to a, a podcast, they have an invested interest in well-being. Yes. So to finish, just any tips that you would be able to share with our listeners today about what they could be doing to looking after, mm. in terms of looking after their well-being? Um. Well, as I always say, when particularly when I run the courses, I, I sort of say, I think I'm preaching to the converted already. The fact that you're on a course means you're interested in the first place. Um, but I also say to delegates, if you come out at the end of these two days and only tell one person each something that you've learnt, then we've doubled the impact of what's just happened over the last two days. Um, and, and actually, I'm fairly confident that they do tell more than one person, actually. But even if it is just one, um, I, I say to them, we can't solve the problems of the world or around mental health and well-being ourselves. But every little helps. So we can only do what we can do. And we must also only do what we can cope with ourselves. In other words, we mustn't take on board things from other people that are then going to... Um, put a risk on our own mental health and well-being so i think that's really important i think the other the part of your question at the beginning of, around um that percentage of people who feel that their their, their mental health and well-being is being negatively impacted i think the other interesting thing to consider and to remember and maybe this is just from my experience rather than any statistics is that Often, not always, but often there are other issues at play in people's lives. Work might be one element, but then there are sometimes other elements 
that are going in that are going on in that person's life currently or have done in the past and if we are talking about holistically looking after our staff in order to sustain them in our in in the job um, yes we have to deal with anything that's specifically work related but maybe what we need to be doing is signposting people for professional support so that the whole self is being supported not just the work self and i would say that's particularly in the teaching profession um, I, I, that, that, that's my experience there. So I, I, do, I do know that many people have started talking to me about issues that they've perceived are at work. But when I've given it time and non-judgmental listening, it starts to weave into lots of different areas of their life, their relationships, their family, things that have happened during childhood. And I'm not asking specific questions. It's what they are revealing. And so being able to look after the whole person and, as I say, signpost towards professional services, the GP, uh, online counselling and therapy, all those things, mindfulness, all those things. There are there are things out there that can help. Um, I think that's that's quite an important thing to to consider yourself as a whole, not just as a teacher or just as a school leader absolutely right and and it is a challenge you you are right and i'd like to pick up on that because my own you you've sort of cited that as being your experience and mm. and certainly that has been my experience and um i i've just very recently this week actually started to do some social media posts around a teacher's planning diary that i've created and actually my part of the inspiration for that was because I felt like during my leadership um, sort of phases, I was becoming, as the increases of the job became more demanding, I started to feel less like mum and daughter and sister and me as a whole, and more like just the head teacher of the school. And then I started to live my life in this very compartmentalized way, where I was like, okay, at work I just do this, and at home I just do this. And it was, it was really a very, very uncomfortable way of living. And it's, when I reflect back to that time, it, there's certainly not very, very pleasant memories of that time. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And, and I would, you know, I would uh, urge listeners to, to take notice of those things is the first thing to be mm -hmm. doing. If you're starting to feel like that and, 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 you know, God forbid those, um, teachers that may be working for head teachers who say you leave your personal stuff at home and don't bring it into school because that's um very unhealthy also for an individual who, who's got life experiences as and you know as as the ones that you've just sort of yeah. cited there but yeah you, you know we can't live life in in this way and we say to the children to be you know we we see a child as a whole but we yes. we need to see ourselves in the same way we do, and, and I think uh, it, it's not really a top tip and it's not really a, a quick fix, but, but when I work with teachers on um, efficacy or energy management so that they can work as, as, as efficiently as possible, um, I always start in a, in a place that I think they're quite surprised about, and it's about looking at who you are as a person. Yeah. And the way you like to do things, the, the, the way, without it being too deep and meaningful, a type of personality analysis 
that makes you realize what sort of person you are and therefore how that might make you think and feel about the different sorts of tasks and the ways that you are expected to work as a teacher. Yeah. For example, if you are a completer finisher, yeah. you might find yourself frustrated in the teaching profession because I can tell you this, the teaching and the planning and the assessing doesn't ever end. You can't say, I finished. I mean, you can break it up into small chunks. And, and that's what I do for myself. I break long things into small chunks just to give myself a sense of satisfaction. But if you like to have a project which is then done and you don't have to look at it anymore because it's finished, yeah. then teaching is maybe going to be a challenge for you. Very, unless very. you look at that mindset so i'm not saying it's impossible and you yeah. should all leave yeah. <laughs> but no, it, it, yeah so it's that self-reflection mm -hmm. um and and sometimes an interesting way of doing that is also to get a 360 perspective on that for how other people think of you obviously if it's done in a safe way um and, and then to take it from there before you start saying, oh, you need to use this grid to help you manage your time and you need to do that, the other. Actually, let's start with who you are first. And I, that would be, I suppose, my top tip for all professionals in, in, in the teaching profession is to just give yourself a bit of time, a bit of time to stop and rest frequently, but also time to think about who you are and how you can be the change that you want there to be. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, really, really valid and so important what you've just said there, Juliet. So I'll leave the listeners with that wonderful top tip and um, yeah, great stuff to be reflective and, and start with you. So um, Juliet, this is, I've loved talking to you absolutely loved it if the listeners would like to get um any more advice or contact you for the work that you do how can they reach you um well they can reach me via um link my linkedin profile juliet adloon um i think there's only one of me on there which just might be fortuitous for the world i don't know um <laughs> But I think there is. And that's probably a, an easy way of the most easy way of doing it by linking in and connecting with me there. I do have a, a, a Facebook page um, under my name as well. Um, so that that would be something that people might be interested in. And, and I do that just as a little signposting for nothing to do with schools. It's more for my community and, and wider community to support people around ideas and resources and, and networks and charities and things like that. Um, uh, so, so yes, I am I'm more than contactable via either of those two avenues. Wonderful. That's wonderful. And if, if the listeners have got any further questions or are not on LinkedIn and would like to get in touch with Juliet, then please contact us at the everyteachermattersproject.com via our website. We hope that you've had a, a, you know, a wonderful time listening to this as we have had chatting about mental health and our teaching profession. Thank you very much, listeners, and I look forward to speaking to you again on the next episode. Goodbye and bye, Juliet, and thank you so very much. And thank you too. Bye-bye. I do hope you enjoyed listening to today's Every Teacher Matters conversation. It is our mission to be the voice of our amazing school staff. You can find out more by visiting everyteachermattersproject.com or contacting me directly at contact at Thanks for listening.